You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Good morning, North Canton Chapel. My name is Sam Toman, and I'm our children's ministry coordinator. And I'm so excited to continue our Family Matter, Matter series with you today. Like we learned last week, I want us to remember that no matter what your family is like, if you're a grandparent raising your grandkids, if you're a single parent, if you're a teenager listening, or if you're a single person listening, uh, no matter what your family is like, if you are a child of God, a believer in Jesus, you are a part of God's family. And so as a part of God's family, we all have a responsibility to contribute, uh, to love each other, and to point each other to Jesus. But before we get started with our, uh, with our message today, I want to give everyone kind of a bit of a heads up. So I'm a children's ministry guy, so participation is pretty important to me. So even though I can't see you, I might ask you to repeat after me or do something with your hands, and I just want you guys to stick with me, okay? I, I can't see you, so I can't hold you accountable, but I think we can do this together. So just participate with me a little bit and give me a thumbs up if you understand. Awesome. So today we're going to be looking at a young man named Timothy. And we're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy. And if you have a Bible, you can turn with me there to the book of 2 Timothy. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote the letter of 2 Timothy to Timothy. And in case you don't know who the Apostle Paul is, or you just want a reminder, the Apostle Paul was a guy that used to hate Christians. But then after having a personal and visible encounter with Jesus, he became a devoted believer and spread the gospel all throughout the world. And while he was on these journeys to spread the gospel, he met someone named, you guessed it, Timothy. And so for adults, for parents listening, I believe that God is calling us to have an impact on the next generation. And if you're a child or if you're a student listening in this morning, I believe that God is calling you to be prepared to make an impact. I think a lot of us are going to be able to relate to Timothy today. Almost 40% of kids living in the state of Ohio are without a father figure in their homes. And only about 50% of kids living in the U.S. can expect to have their families mostly intact by the time they move out. Now, I think that there are many of us that can feel those statistics personally. I think of my, my own story, and there's pain there. But I believe that an intact home is not what produces a child who is committed to running after Jesus. Because I believe that in order for us to endure and to do good, the family of God must be committed to discipleship and to scripture. And it is our responsibility to have an impact on the next generation so that they can know and love Jesus. And so students, children listening, I also believe that God is calling you to be prepared to make an impact for Jesus. So let's read together in 2 Timothy. We're going to be in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 10 through 17. It says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, 
my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the opportunity to dig into your word this morning. Thank you that you've given us your word, and thank you that you've given us the, the gift of yourself and the gift of our church family. Lord, would you open our ears to what it is that you would like us to hear this morning, Lord? Would you, uh, would you give me your spirit? Would you speak through um, our message today? And would you just allow hearts to be impacted for your gospel? In your name we pray. Amen. Today, I want us to learn that in order to endure and to do good, that the family of God must be committed to discipleship and to scripture. And so first, we're going to learn that the family of God must be committed to making disciples and to being disciples, being discipled. And then we are going to learn that the family of God must be committed to the truth and the sufficiency of Scripture. So 2 Timothy is the last letter of Scripture that Paul wrote, and he wrote this knowing that he would soon die. And so we can look at these authoritative words with a sort of special lens that reminds us that this is essentially a dying man's last words to his spiritual son. At the time, Timothy was a young leader in the church of Ephesus, and his church had a lot of things that he needed to address. But Timothy himself also has an interesting background. Listen to Acts 16, 1 through 2. They say, Paul came to Derbe and to Lystra, and there was a, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Now, these verses tell us that Timothy's mom was a Jewish believer, and that means she was a faithful Jew who learned about Jesus and loved Jesus. But his dad, on the other hand, was a Gentile, and all that means is that he was not a Jew. But at that time, you would not have expected a Jew and a Gentile to be married or to be together. Um, but even more than that, it doesn't seem like Timothy's dad was a believer. In fact, rather than being a strong spiritual head of the family, look here um, what we're told about Timothy's spiritual background in 2 Timothy 1 verse 5. Paul says to Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Timothy's mother Eunice likely sat and opened the word of God with him. And Timothy's grandmother, Lois, earnestly prayed for her grandson to know Jesus. So two faithful women passed on the good news of Jesus Christ to Timothy in his youth. Now, many of us can think of people in our past, whether it's mother figures or father figures or mentors who have pointed us to Jesus and who have prayerfully helped us grow in the gospel. Some of you are maybe in a situation like Timothy's family. Maybe you're the only believer, the only follower of Jesus in your family, and you have to desperately rely on Jesus to bring the lost to himself. Now, I believe that God has designed the family 
to be a primary tool for intentional discipleship. But let me be clear with you. Jesus loves your family much more than you do. Jesus is much stronger than you are. And so I urge you to keep working and to keep praying, but to rely on the strength of Jesus. And while I do believe that family is intended to be the place where discipleship happens most intentionally, that does not mean that you have to do it alone because you're not meant to do this alone. Now we're going to look back at 2 Timothy chapter 3 again, but as we continue to dive in, I want you to remember that Paul is not related to Timothy. Paul was a Jew and Timothy had a Gentile father, but God used Paul to greatly encourage Timothy in the faith. And we're going to learn together first that the family of God must be committed to discipleship. So let's look again at verses 10 and 11. They say, You, however, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. In the first half of chapter 3, Paul is encouraging Timothy because he knows that persecutions and trials are coming. Paul says, Paul essentially says to Timothy, I I believe in you because you have listened to me. This is like a proud coach to his skillful player or a wise teacher to her inquisitive student or a mentor to his follower saying, I'm proud of you. I can see that you love Jesus. Now, I bet that most of us probably have someone in our life who looks up to us in some capacity. And if you're anything like me, maybe you're not the best at affirmation. And we need to work on it, especially with our families. Parents, I I know that it's easy to constantly correct your kids because let's be honest, they need corrected. They're, They're still learning. But do not let that prevent you from encouraging your child as well. Because if your heart is in the right spot and you're actually passing on your faith to other people, it should be easy to spot areas to encourage others in, especially those within your own household. And and not just your children either, but your spouse too. Let your kids see you encourage your spouse. And so Paul gives us this list here, this list of several virtues that he says Timothy has followed. And he encourages him to continue to follow him in these things. Uh, He begins with teaching. Now, false teaching is something that's very real and was a very imminent danger that it's addressed throughout Paul's letters. And he often warns churches and other leaders about false teaching or even about specific false teachers to avoid. Because whether we know it or not, every action we take is shaped by something we believe. I believe what I'm taught, and so I act accordingly. Now, sometimes we act as if we don't believe what we're taught. For example, a parent tells their child, I promise there's no monster in your closet. But nonetheless, the child wakes up crying in the middle of the night because she's certain she saw a monster. Now, I won't make you raise your hands this time, but I'm sure that most of us can look back in our life and we've been that child before. Um, But maybe to get a little more specific, many of us have been told that community and discipleship are important. But instead of acting on a belief that we've been taught, uh, we continue to make excuses not to be discipled, not to be a part of community. 
we continue to busy our schedule with too many good or important things that we don't have time to spiritually train our children. We say things like, yes, of course, I believe that my child's spiritual walk is important. But we don't always believe it enough to say, no, we can't take on this extra activity because it will negatively impact our time with Jesus or our time with the church body. Paul reminds Timothy that he's followed his teaching. And so he can, urges him to continue to do so. And then he lists more of these virtues. And he, ha, he says that Timothy has followed his conduct and his aim in life. And now these are very closely related things. Essentially, Paul is saying, watch what I do and watch why I do it. He's talking about the practical nitty gritty of life. And then he continues and he says, you've watched my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, all these things that we would probably expect Paul to say that Timothy has followed. But then he goes somewhere that maybe we didn't expect. He says, Timothy, you have followed my persecutions and sufferings. He lists three specific examples of his experiences of suffering, which you can find in the book of Acts. Uh, these places are Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. These are all places where he experienced persecution. Uh, to put that in our perspective a little bit, it's somewhat like traveling from Chicago to North Canton into Stowe. But what he's illustrating is that he has experienced trials and sufferings in places near, in places far, and everywhere he goes. And so we have to ask, why would Paul think it was important that Timothy follow his sufferings? Let's look again at verse 12. It says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul is passing on his faith to, in Jesus to Timothy, and he basically says, Look, if you're really committed to the gospel, people are going to hate you, and you're going to suffer. In church, that is the same gospel message that we are passing on today. This text says that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, will experience suffering. But also remember what he says in verse 11. He says, yet from them all, all these sufferings, the Lord rescued me. Jesus was faithful. And so parents, adults listening, we need to pass on a strong faith to the next generation. Because these trials are real and suffering is real. Persecution is real. And we know that. Paul says, Timothy, if you're on mission for Jesus, you're going to encounter suffering. He says, you're either going to encounter suffering or you can be like the opposite side of the coin, which he describes in verse 13. Evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. We need to pass on a strong faith to the next generation because I believe that memorizing quaint Bible verses isn't going to cut it. And sometimes coming to a Sunday service isn't going to cut it. And a cute prayer at dinner isn't going to cut it. We need to pass on a strong faith to the next generation. And I believe that Jesus is empowering us. And I believe that in order for us to endure and to do good, the family of God must be committed to discipleship. Now, I doubt that there are many Christians who hear this and disagree. We know discipleship is important, but there are a lot of barriers, aren't there? I mean, quite frankly, discipleship is scary. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you are being called 
to make disciples and to be discipled. Now, now here's good news. Yes, discipleship is scary, but Jesus equips us. Can you repeat that after me? Say, Jesus equips us. And this isn't just for parents. I mean, my parents played a part in my spiritual development, but they couldn't cover it all. And parents today can't cover it all. In every phase of my life where I've been faithful, I can think of a man who poured himself into me. But you know what often made this the most special and the most legitimate? They pursued me because I didn't know I needed it. Every adult here, if you're listening, wave at me. Wave at me from where you're watching. I want to know that you're here. Think back to when you were five. Did you know the real dangers that the world could cause? What about when you were 12? Did you, did you know how to navigate changing friendships? What about when you were 16? Did you know without a shadow of a doubt what you were going to do for the rest of your life? No. And if you thought you did, you probably ended up being wrong, at least in one sense. It's hard to know what you need when you're in the moment, isn't it? And so let me tell you, when you're a child, when you're a teenager, it's hard to know that you actually need discipleship. And so it's not up to them to pursue discipleship alone. You're in on this. We are in on this. And I don't care if you have children, grandchildren, if you're single, if you're old, if you're young, you must invest in the next generation because the next generation is just as much a part of this church as you are. And this is what I believe Jesus is empowering us to do, to find an avenue to invest. And so start with prayer. Go to the Lord and ask him what he could be calling you to do. And if you need help discerning this, reach out to us. Reach out to our pastors and staff. We are here to partner alongside you. Practically, we have dozens of kids and students that are about to come through our church building doors and starting in just two weeks. And we need you. We need you to partner with us. We need you to partner with them because this is your legacy, just like Paul. Paul, when he was writing this letter, he was looking back at his life and it seems like he was pleased because he was committed to Jesus and because he showed other people what it means to be committed to Jesus. And so let me just say, your, your business successes won't carry over into heaven. The fun vacations won't seem so fun once we're gone from this earth, because here's what will matter. Did you make much of Jesus and did you show others how Jesus transforms everything? Because in order to endure and to do good, the family of God must be committed to discipling and to being discipled. And so let me also speak to our students and children listening. If you're a student or if you're a child, give me a wave. Let me know that you're here with me. I need you to be just as committed as we need these adults to be. I've called these adults to invest in you and to spend time with you, to pray for you and to pursue you, and you need them. And it's not just because you're young, but it's because you're human. And because if you're a believer in Jesus, you're a part of the body of Christ. And so these adults also need you. They need you to pray for them, and they need you to try to listen, to be willing to hear them out, to know 
that they're trying and that this thing that we call life, it's really hard. But you need them because like Paul told Timothy, trials and suffering are coming and you can't let them catch you off guard. We have to be ready. I believe that in order for us to endure, to do good, the family of God must be committed to discipleship. Now let's look again where we left off here in verse 13. Listen to what Paul says. Evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So we just learned that in order to endure and to do good, the family of God must be committed to discipleship. And now we're going to learn that in order to endure and to do good, the family of God must be committed to scripture. We must be committed to the truth and the sufficiency of scripture because scripture shapes our character and scripture transforms our lives. Paul essentially tells Timothy here, you don't know my trials as someone who watches from afar, but as someone you know you can trust. Being a kid can be a little scary, can't it? Think back to when you were a child. You were constantly constantly experiencing new things. You were constantly meeting new people, and these new people were strangers. And even for adults, meeting new people can be scary, can't it? So think about being a fourth grader, coming into the North Canton Chapel for the very first time. I've met many new children at our church before, but when you walk into someplace new and you meet new people, you might not trust those people immediately. They're new. But then this new child continues to come for a couple of weeks and they, they have the same teacher. And that builds a little familiarity. And they see her, this teacher, at an NCC Connect event. And that builds an additional layer of trust. And then that same, uh, that same adult teacher asks them how their softball game went last week. And the student thinks, wow, she remembered that I play softball. All these different aspects start to build more and more trust as the teacher pursues connection. And as the teacher pursues this, the character of the teacher starts to become more evident. And maybe a bigger leap ends up happening. The teacher connects with the child's parents and maybe they, they get dinner, they get together, they become familiar. And all of a sudden, that person isn't just some teacher anymore. No, the child thinks, my family is friends with her. I trust her. You see, trust thrives on familiarity. Trust thrives on familiarity. And familiarity takes time and it takes work. But trust thrives on familiarity. And so we have to be willing to get to know others and we have to be willing to let them get to know us. And so in our passage, Paul is saying, Timothy, you can know that you can trust what I've taught you, what your mother and your grandmother have taught you, because you know you can trust us. You're familiar with us. We've shown our character to you. We all need people to tell us the hard truths in life, but it works the best when this person is familiar. 
when we know them. Not just know them in the hallway, but know what their living room looks like. Know what they did last week. Know some of their stories. When there is a real relationship where I can look at someone's character and say, I trust them, that's when the most important truths can be told. See, when I, was in, when I was in my junior year of high school, I was being discipled by a man here at the chapel, and I was learning so much about Jesus and about theology and what it meant to live like a Christian, and, and I was eating it all up. But a, a, as I was learning these things, I remember a specific conversation I got into with two friends, and one of these friends said something that was biblically unfaithful, and so me, you know, I've been learning all of these things. And I, so I, I obviously know it all and I have a ton of truth and wisdom. And so I decided it was my duty to quickly inform them of their idiotic heresy and that they need to repent. And that, that didn't go so well. And so here's what happened. My mentor at NCC found out about this conversation and he told me that what I did was harsh and it was wrong. Yes, what my friend says was biblically unfaithful, but the way I reacted was biblically unfaithful. And so because I knew his character, I listened to him. And I apologized, and, and things went on. But I believed him because I knew his character. Because trust thrives on familiarity. Do the people around you know your character? Do the children and students around you know your character? Can they, to steal Paul's words, can they firmly believe because of the testimony of your own life? Can they know that, can they know the biblical truth that you've discipled them in, not just because it's true, but because you told them and you look like Jesus? Parents, specifically, do your children see Christ in your marriage? Husbands and wives are meant to have a love for each other like Christ's love for his church. Is that what you display in your household? And are, are you being discipled? Are, are you learning these truths? If not, we have opportunities for you. Rooted starts uh, next weekend, and it's not too late to sign up. And we have men's and women's Bible studies that are going on, and we have MCs meeting, and we have options for you. Because your spiritual health doesn't just affect you. Your spiritual health impacts the next generation. It impacts the North Canton Chapel. It impacts your family. And your personal walk with God is the best way to glorify the name of Jesus. And so students, children, that goes for you too. If, if you think that you get to wait to be an adult to start being faithful, that's not true. We're trying to prepare you for what's ahead, yes. But Life is real now. You have the ability to go into your schools and make much of Jesus, or you can go into your schools and make much of yourself. And let me be honest, acting like you're better than everyone else is kind of easy. But being a follower of Jesus, it's hard. And so if you really want to be a follower of Jesus, we need each other. We've been given each other. We need to help each other believe true things because what we believe is extremely important. See, in this passage, Paul gives us this beautiful exposition of scripture, but he also points out to us that Timothy has been taught these scriptures from a young age. When Timothy's mom and grandma were raising him, they taught him God's word because they knew it was powerful. They knew it was true. 
And they knew that to be obedient to God means to be obedient to his word. They knew that scripture doesn't just give some sort of head knowledge, but scripture transforms us because it makes us wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. The spirit transforms our hearts through scripture. And so there's something in the family ministry world that we call the 414 window. It's a principle that acknowledges that the vast majority of people that say that they are believers say that they gave their life to Christ at some point between the ages of 4 and 14. And so here's my theory on why that is. Take it as you will. But when you're a child, it's easier to believe the truth because it's coming from people you trust and because you haven't fully encountered all the false teachings of the world yet. Look at verse 13. Uh, Verse 13 teaches us that evil people are being deceived and they're being deceived continuously. They're convinced of false truth and become more and more convinced of it as life goes on. And so investing in the next generation isn't just an obligation that we have, but if we want to see our culture transformed, if we want to see the name of Jesus proclaimed throughout the world, it begins with our children. Because children aren't just the future of the church, they are the church of the present just like you and like me. And if we don't reach them, the culture will. You see, the gospel of Jesus is offensive. And if we don't impact the next generation with the truth now, the truth will become blurry. The truth will become um, perhaps obsolete. But here is some good news. Here's some good news for us. The Holy Spirit is much more powerful than we are. And bringing someone to Christ, saving someone, is the work of the Holy Spirit. But let me ask you, where does the Spirit dwell? He dwells in the people of the church. So when we say, let the Holy Spirit work, we we, don't you dare use that as an excuse to sit back and leave it up to God. Because on the contrary, the Spirit works through people and The Spirit has given his people his word. Listen again to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. See, scripture is breathed out by God. And we learned about this in our five solace series. Uh, So we as Christians believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of scripture and we all go, wow, that is a mouthful. Yes, it is. So here's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember this word inspiration. Repeat it after me. Inspiration. It means that God in the original documents of the Bible guided, guided the writers of scripture to write exactly what they did. It's both 100% the words of the human authors and 100% the words of God. And because it is the word of God, everything that the Bible asserts, everything that the Bible says is 100% without a doubt completely true. And so repeat that word after me again, inspiration. Paul is trying to tell Timothy this. He's saying, first, you can trust me. You know me. But second, and most importantly, he's saying, you can trust Jesus and you can trust that everything he says in his word is true. See, the Holy Spirit lives inside the people of the church, and that's true. And it, but additionally, 
This is what Hebrews 4 verse 12 says. For the word of God is living and it's active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Holy Spirit is in the word, in the Bible, and the word of God is living and active. And so we ask, what does that mean for our families today? There are a lot of issues to address in real life. How do I talk to this 16-year-old about dating and about their identity? Or how do I work through these marital problems with my spouse? Or if you're a parent, how do I navigate technology that, quite frankly, I just don't fully understand? There are so many more questions, and these questions are important, and these questions are hard. But here's what I want you to know. You are not alone because you have the body of Christ. You have the body of Christ surrounding you, and you have the resource of the word of the living God. And so we know that scripture is inspired, but even more, scripture is sufficient. Repeat the word sufficient. Awesome. Paul says that scripture is profitable for all these things, and it makes us competent and equipped for every good work. And yes, you heard that right. Paul says every good work. Scripture is sufficient. Repeat that word again, sufficient. To be sufficient means that it's more than enough. It's, it's what you need. And so here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you're going to find a Bible verse that explicitly mentions how to limit your child's screen time. Haven't been able to find that one there yet. But it does mean that by the power of the Spirit, through his word, the Bible is sufficient to teach you everything you need to know to live a godly life. And so as you aim to disciple others, especially those of the next generation, your most important tool is the word of God. And so prayerfully, faithfully, and in community pursue the word of God because what we believe matters. And the only way we can pass it on to the next generation is if we know it ourselves. So don't be foolish enough to think that you can trick a child so easily because they see what you're committed to and they see what you're not committed to. And whether you like it or not, they're going to imitate you. Parents, we have some opportunities coming up with parenting workshops that you're going to hear about that are going to address some of these hard questions. And we're going to look at some other tools with the help of psychology and biology and experiences, these good tools that we have. But we're also, we must fully rely on the sufficient word of God. And so students and children listening, I want you to know that the word of God is inspired. It's true that the word of God is sufficient, it's more than enough, and that Jesus gave us his word to rely on it. And when scripture seems hard to understand or it seems scary or, or you have doubts, we're here to walk through it with you. We want to do this together with you. And so for all of us here today, here's what I want you to know. You are not meant to do this alone. I believe that in order for us to endure and to do good, the family of God must be committed to discipleship and to scripture. We learn that the family of God must be committed to discipling and to being discipled. And we also learn that the family of God must be committed to the truth and the sufficiency of scripture. Because in order for us to endure and to do good, the family of God must be committed to discipleship and to scripture. 
Paul, approaching the end of his life, knew that the best legacy he could leave for those after him, the biggest impact he could have would be to leave them with the tools of the gospel. Gospel ministry, the proclamation of Jesus, centers on discipleship and on a commitment to scripture. And this is what Paul wants to pass on to families, to our church, to the next generation. He says here, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. And so continue in the mission of the gospel, continue discipling, continue studying God's word. For us today, continue in what you have learned. I believe that today is the day for us to take this next step of action. And so don't wait because the mission of Jesus is too important to wait. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you um, that you've given us these tools to impact the next generation, that you've given us these tools to live a life that is pleasing to you. Lord, would you help us to go out from here today and to, to make much of your name, to tell everyone we know about Jesus, because Jesus, you change everyone, everything. You change everything, Jesus. And so would you impact the next generation? Would you, would you shape hearts and minds to come to know you? Would you bring... Would you bring many in the next generation to come to know you so our culture, so our world can be transformed with the gospel? Thank you for your gifts. Thank you that we have a church that has so many generations that we can all uh, bring together the wisdom that you have given us to disciple and to dig into your word together, Lord. Would you help us to use these gifts and would you help us in all things and in all ways to be committed to you? We love you. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at nchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces, making much of Jesus every day to everyone.